Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range podcast studio getting ready to record episode number 149. Got a great show lined up for you today. We're in our warm-up segment. We're going to talk about our city of the week, player of the week, the equipment tip of the week. Got another fun did you know, a good listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In our lead-off segment, we're going to have part two of our Rachel Coleman interview. Rachel did a great job on part one, uh, talking about recruiting and ins and outs of the recruiting process. Make sure that uh, all our families and uh, players are as aware of things as they possibly can be. In our cleanup topic, we're going to have a little walk down memory lane. We're going to talk about Hank Aaron and, and Hank Aaron's attitude about hitting and try to use that as a way to help our players and coaches stay motivated. And then our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about if our players are working hard for us, how we need to work hard for them. So before we get into the show, Don, let's talk about our sponsors. First off, let's talk about Cleat It Up FP. Cleat It Up is the communication tool we want you to use. Uh, it's an app on your phone, tool that you can use to solve all your team communication challenges. So within your team, across your organization, and then they've got some great social media aspects too. It's a great tool. And again, it's a free app. So go to cleatitup.com. Also want to talk to you about our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. Patreon is a tool that Coach Don and I started using several months ago. It's a way for you as our listeners to help support everything Fast Pitch and Coach Prep. There's three different levels of support. If you can go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch, those three different levels will be explained to you. And we're doing some extra things for our patrons. We've got a substantial discount on our Square Cuts training disc of 40%. And they're also doing our first ever Zoom Coaches Clinic on February 14th at 7 p.m. For all our patrons, it's free. And for anybody else who wants to sign up and uh, is not a patron, but just a regular listener that wants to get involved with the uh, Zoom Coaches Clinic, that will be $20. We're going to be talking about practice organization and how to run better practices. We're going to talk about coaching styles and ways to communicate better and communicate with your team. We're going to do some question and answer and uh, try to uh, definitely share a lot of knowledge that day. So uh, if you're interested in becoming a patron, please go to patreon.com. Coach Don and I can really use your support. Um, everything Fast Pitch is growing, and there's just expenses that we need help with. So, Don, our warm-up segment is sponsored by Nexair. Nexair is a Memphis-based industrial gas, medical gas, research gas, welding supply, and safety PPE supplier. With strategically placed retail locations, sales branches, and distribution centers throughout the southeast, Nexair is never too far away. They maintain centralized product warehouses to serve you better and be more reliable. Through our services, you can receive the products you need when you need them. Our fleet of trucks will get you the gas you need when you need it. If you're interested in any Nexair product or service or just want to talk through your options, please get in touch. Our customer care team at 888-639-2474 will help you find the branch or outside sales rep in your area. Please reach out to Nexair. They'll take care of all your needs. So our city of the week, Don, Battle Creek, Michigan. Battle Creek, Michigan. Love it. Yep. The breakfast capital of the world, the breakfast cereal capital of the world. Is I don't that know right? if you knew that. Yep. No, um, I did not. But uh, also a hotbed for softball. Uh, we want to thank our listeners in Battle Creek. And I saw another big jump in the numbers there. And as always, if you're a listener of everything Fast Pitch or Coach Prep, please ask your friends, your teammates, people that you know that are Fast Pitch fans to listen to an episode. Um, we've got uh, 148 in the can, working on number 149, so there's a lot of information out there. I think once you listen or once you get them to listen, they'll be hooked. There's a little something in every single one of them, Tori. I mean, that just whether it's reminding us or uh, you know an extra item that might be new, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. And, and we've really enjoyed it, and we want to keep it going. And uh, obviously, the numbers are important for, for us in the podcast world. The more people that listen, the better off we are. So thank you to Battle Creek, Michigan. You're our City of the Week. Uh, we need some Player of the Week nominations, folks. We uh, don't have a Player of the Week this week, so if you are interested in nominating a player, please go to fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. Give us a little bit of the backstory on why you want that player to be nominated, you know, their name, class, nice team. Nice to recognize them. Um, yeah. And we would love to recognize them. If it's for on-the-field accomplishments, that's great. But if it's also stuff that's going on in the community, things that they're doing in school, uh, anything that the softball... Uh, community would like to recognize we want to see for our player of the week so please nominate someone and uh, we will recognize them next week our equipment tip of the week don square cuts training discs they are flying off the shelf it's it's awesome everybody that's uh worked with them here at at the batting cages has really uh 
been very positive. Everything that they're doing is exciting and uh, something new and different. Right. Well, and after uh, the several months that we spent uh, talking about them, uh, I was curious to see what the response was going to be like and very exciting to see that uh, um, all the time that we've spent talking about the Square Cuts training disc has built some momentum and, and a lot of people are purchasing them. Uh, we would love to hear back from those of you that are getting them and uh, and using them. Let's uh, put together some testimonials. Let's put together some uh, commentary so we can let uh, other people know uh, all the different ideas that you're having. One of the things that I've been very excited about was that uh, people are coming back with ideas, different ways to use them in training. And uh, we're going to keep making more YouTube videos. Every time somebody comes up with a new idea, um, I'm going to uh, get in the uh, in the batting cage and, and put together another video to keep sharing ideas on all the different ways that you can use them in drills. Um, we found out that you can obviously use them for hitting. We can use them for throwing. We can use them for pitching. And one of the things that uh, I've started using them more and more for is front toss drill. Yeah. Uh, figured out how to throw them and throw them uh, appropriately. And so it's another thing that we've decided is a, is a great way to use the Square Cuts training disc. They are available. Go to our fastpitchprep.com website. There's a link right on the front page that will take you through the ordering process. They're $49.95 a dozen. And if you are a listener and you put in the promo code of ILISTEN21, you're going to get a 10% discount. So it's ILISTEN, and then the number 21, I-L-I-S-T-E-N-21. Check out the Square Cuts training disc. So, Don, did you know the stolen base career record in Division One is another one of those records that I think is never going to be broken was set by Nicole Barber at University of Georgia, and Nicole in her career had 257 steals in 278 games. Awesome. Yeah, That's no, very she, impressive. She, she right. also has a single-season record, um, but I really thought that the career number was kind of mind-blowing because 278 games across a career is a lot. You know, we start to think now with 56 is the max in Division One for the regular season, another 10 games maybe for the uh, postseason if a team advanced pretty far. So 66 games, she was averaging way more than that every year for a whole four-year career. That's got to be pretty speedy, Tori, because think about it. A lot of times when you get on base, there's someone in front of you. Yeah. It makes it tough to steal a base. And there are some challenging days when uh, you know you hit atom balls, everything you hit's right at them, and you don't get on base. Yeah. So. Well, I would be willing to bet. I, I had the good fortune of seeing Nicole play when she was at Georgia. And uh, I would be willing to bet that she always stole second base if it was available. I don't think there was a single time in her career that an at-bat ended and she didn't try to steal. Have a, have a shot. So, I wonder how many times she's been put out. That I didn't see in the record book, but I'm going to guess it's a pretty low number. Right. And probably was for... Otherwise, uh, she would have been yeah. more discouraged. <laughs> and, so. and my guess is probably not that she really got thrown out, but that she got called out for leaving early once in a while. So we'll have a we'll have a caller call in and say, "Hey, I got her out a couple times." Yeah. So if yeah. if you're one of the catchers, because I'm sure it was a memorable event, if you did throw <laughs> Nicole Barber out, right? Uh, go ahead and uh, send us and, a message. Uh, let us know that uh, you are one of the people that uh, should also be in the record book for the one or two or three people that actually got to throw her out <laughs> on the bases. So, um, did you know Nicole Barber, 257 steals in 278 career games? So our listener question, Don, comes to us from Kelly. And Kelly is excited. She says, college softball is just around the corner. What do you think the chances are that fans will be allowed at the games? I think it's pretty good, and I think it's going to be distance. Yeah, well, I think it's going to depend. And, yeah, I think yeah. it's going to depend really from place to place. Here uh, in the greater Atlanta area, it seems that the different schools already have very different uh, sets of guidelines. I know at Georgia Tech, they're allowing only family members and then a handful of other people, but really no public ticket sales. Right. But other schools are allowing limited numbers, uh, social distancing, masks, as you were mentioning, Don. Um, and I think it's going to be one of those, you really need per to case. Do, yeah, yeah. do some research before you jump in the car and say, hey, let's run out to so-and-so to watch a game. And I think that there's a lot of great softball going to be played. So if we get a chance to see it in person, that would be beautiful. Uh, but I also uh, renewed my ESPN Plus. I was just about to say, we're all going to be watching it on our uh, phones yep. or on so, TV at home. Yeah. So, so I re renewed ESPN Plus to make sure that I can see the games Not uh, miss them. Uh, that are broadcast. Uh, because uh, one of the things that we've noticed this year in all other sports is that the games have been going on, whether there's fans or not. And even though I'm a heartbroken Packer fan right now because they choked away the uh, championship game, um, it was still fun watching the games on TV, even though there was no stand, no fans in the stands. You know, part of the whole experience is like being right there beside him and seeing him and, you know, hearing the snap of the glove and 
um, you know, the crack of the bat and all those kind of things. So yeah. hopefully if they do end up doing a lot more television style uh, viewing that they can maybe get it a little more personal, more interview, more behind the scenes kind of thing. That would right. be exciting to see. Yeah, but we're excited that the college season is just around the corner. Um, some top 25 lists coming out and things like that. It's very exciting to see. Looks like most everybody in the Division One world thinks that UCLA is going to be a juggernaut this year, which kind of makes sense. You know, they have getting two, them all back, two Olympians yeah. back to a team that was already amazing. Arizona got an Olympian back; they look really strong. Washington looks really strong, and obviously the SEC schools that we're always counting on to be good. So, but you never know, and that's why we play. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun yeah. to see. So hopefully, uh, uh, things get cranked up, and uh, we have a relatively uneventful softball season, uh, college season. But Kelly, thanks for the question. We're all excited, but I would tell you to definitely check the website, check the ticket policy before you jump in the car. I think what might be a really good option for some of our fans is if you can't get into the big school because they've got limited attendance, um, check out the Division II schools, the NAIA schools, the Division Three schools. Great point. Some, yeah. some of them, because they already know they're going to have smaller crowds to begin with, they sure. might not have to have quite as strong of uh, regulations to control it. You know, if you go to a park or, or a school that's only going to have a couple hundred fans normally, they've got a lot less to worry about than a place that's going to have several thousand. You might get a chance to expand your reach a little bit, maybe go to some Division Two, Division Three NAIA games, and you're going to see some really good softball. No I was going to say, go. I'll bet everybody's pleasantly surprised if you haven't already been yeah. for sure. So, Don, that's going to take us into Paige's power play. Paige does a great job every week, and so. Uh, hopefully everybody is checking out her stuff at pagetons.com, but here's Paige's power play. Hey, what's going on? It's Paige coming to you with some good stuff today. Um, this is actually a topic that I thought about for parents and helping parents with their athletes, but I went through it and I was like, oh my gosh, this would be so good for the girls too. So I'm here and I want to talk about comparison and I think that there's this this idea that comparison is bad and I want to show you guys and tell you guys how we can look at comparison differently um, which goes along with a lot of the messages that I share it's like seeing failure differently seeing your success differently seeing um the game differently seeing yourself differently it's thinking differently about things, okay? So I wanna look at comparison and how we can use this to our advantage rather than something that hold, like brings us down. So I really love the concept and the research about a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And I'm just gonna briefly go into this because um, I could talk about this all day long and maybe I should have a whole <laughs> video about growth and mindset and fixed mindset. but. When you are in a growth mindset, you want things like, you know things that, you know, when, with practice and effort, that those things are the things that make you better. You're, you're really good at receiving feedback and know that you're being coached and criticism is something that's going to help you grow. And just knowing that you have endless potential and it's just a it's, a, it's a mindset. And when you have a fixed mindset, it's almost like, I love to use the example of math. A lot of people are like, oh, like, you know, I just, I suck at math. And that's the end of it. <laughs> and that's not true. Like if you were to practice and work at it and get help and support with it, like you could get better at math, but sometimes we choose not to, right? So that's having a fixed mindset around math specifically, but having that fixed mindset is just knowing that like, okay, you have a certain talent and that's it. And you know, no work or effort and things like that can help you go further than that. So that's the best way I can explain growth mindset versus fixed mindset in a quick little snapshot. But one of the, my favorite things that comes up when talking about growth mindset versus fixed mindset is someone with a growth mindset is inspired by others. So instead of comparing themselves and bring like feeling threatened, which is the fixed mindset side, instead of feeling threatened by others or feeling like that jealousy, um, comparison mode kind of feeling, people with growth mindsets, they can be inspired by others and they let those other people 
push them and inspire them to be better instead of hold us back or bring us down or beat ourselves up. I think that this is really amazing because a lot of times we're told like, oh, like don't compare yourself. I honestly don't think that I'm ever gonna be able to go through life without comparing myself in some shape or form. So why don't we use it as fuel for our fire instead of trying to avoid it completely? Using comparison and being inspired by others and choosing to be inspired by others. And I think it comes with like, you know, what are you telling yourself about this person or about these people that you are comparing yourself to and creating some self positive self-talk or some affirmations around that? Because I follow a lot of amazing, incredible people on Instagram and I like to follow them because they're inspiring to me and I want to be more like them and I want more things that they're doing and how they're showing up. And um, so I choose to be inspired rather than threatened or feel that jealousy. Don't get me wrong. I am not perfect. And there are many, many times that I feel jealous or threatened and things like that. And I'm like, oh, like, how am I ever going to do that? Like she's crushing it. Right. So there are times that I get there, but I really have, I consciously choose to be inspired by those people that I choose to be around or choose to follow. And we're going to talk about social media in a second, but but creating an affirmation or something you can tell yourself when you see that person. So for example, if I see you know one of the women that I really admire and I she is just crushing it with her business, she's making a difference in the world, she's doing all these incredible things. I'm like, dang, like if she can do that, I can do it too. Okay, that is like my affirmation. I'm like if she can do it, I can do it. I just gotta figure out how and I need to ask for help. Um, so that it fires me up. I get excited and I'm inspired. And we can easily go down that jealousy comparison threaten mode instead. So um, I'm just challenging you to choose to be inspired by those people instead of letting it bring you down. So let's talk about you know, something that you, we want to do is that we want to avoid those bad feelings when it comes to comparison, the threatened, threatened feeling, the jealousy feeling. And we want to avoid, there's triggers, right? There's things that kind of trigger you to feel like that. Maybe it's like being around a certain group of um, girls or students or teammates or things like that or social media, <laughs> right? And I'm going to call it this. I, I actually, I think one of my friends called it the scroll hole. And I'm, I'm thinking she should like patent that or something because it's, I think it's so funny, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Like you get on Instagram and you're scrolling and all of a sudden 30 minutes goes by and you're like, crap. Like I've just been looking at other people's lives and I've done nothing with mine and I'm comparing myself and now I'm frustrated because I'm not here and I want to be there and I'm here and you guys know the whole bit. So don't get in the scroll hole, um, but like limit those things, you know, remind yourself if you are on Instagram, because if you enjoy it, I mean, do it, but also have boundaries with it and know that if you are going to be there, just remind yourself, like, if she can do it, I can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. Right. And creating the, that self-talk and those affirmations when you're going through there and knowing like those people are there to inspire you. Okay. And maybe like send them a message be like how are you doing this or how do you feel like this ask for help i mean that's the coolest thing about social media is you can it's you know people are on there to support you and help you the right people try to avoid those triggers set boundaries around social media if it is a trigger but just make sure you're not going down that scroll <laughs> um and then the last thing that i want to share is um if you are feeling like you're feeling threatened or feeling those jealousy things that come up with comparison is gratitude practice. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Anytime you're feeling like you're getting, you're being hard on yourself because you're comparing yourself to others in, a, in the bad way, um, I, I want you to think about what are the things you're grateful for? What's in your life that you can be grateful for and get in an attitude of gratitude? It's really going to shift your perspective and change the way that you're thinking um, about your day, about yourself. And again, that kind of ties into the very beginning of this. It's like thinking differently. So comparison can be a good thing, okay? It doesn't have to be a bad thing, but it's the way that we think about it. So my challenge to you is be inspired by comparison and when you compare yourself rather than being threatened. 
and see how that see how that feels. But I'm, I'm excited to hear how this goes. But share with me who, what are the things that you compare yourself to, and let's talk about them. Let's have a conversation about them. Talk to you soon. Bye. Don, I love listening to Paige. No, she's always insightful. It's a lot of fun, and she's just really good for the kids. Yeah, and, and I know uh, I've mentioned this several times. A couple of players that I know personally have been involved in her program and love it. So if you have a, a, a daughter that's a softball player, if you're a coach, and you have those kids that struggle with their confidence, and a lot of us have those kids, you know, back in the day we would always just tell them to suck it up and, and, and toughen up. But uh, there's a lot of science behind what Paige is doing. There's a lot of knowledge in what she's doing. And the fact that she's been there, done that, I think makes it really, really valuable. So uh, make sure you check out pagetons.com. So, Don, that's going to take us to our leadoff topic. Our leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway, Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, equipment, just reach out to them, uh, uniforms, spirit wear, and they're happy to ship anywhere in the country. So check out the folks at Elite. So Don, this is the part two of our interview with Rachel Coleman. Rachel uh, is a recruiting expert. Her uh, um, knowledge and expertise is really, really valuable, and we're excited to have part two of our interview with Rachel Coleman. Well, obviously, this last uh, year-ish of recruiting has been pretty weird with all the dead periods and uh, uh, things for Division One, and then I guess kind of the trickle-down of that, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot of here is players that are getting recruited by Division Two and NAI schools not knowing what they should do, how they should play this, because I think that the assumption is because of COVID that Division One schools are not recruiting as much or not doing as much uh, on the recruiting front. I guess my question is, Number one is, should should players be thinking now, if they think that they're a, a borderline or, or have Division One aspirations, are they making a mistake thinking that the only reason these coaches aren't contacting me is because of corona? They, so, okay, uh, I think it's... Yeah, they, it's, are they making a mistake? Because I think what's happening is they're thinking, well, if I wait until whatever date when we can start to go to visits or we can start to go to camps, that all these coaches are going to be contacting me. What I've been telling kids is that they could be contacting you now irregardless of Corona. So don't think that just because you haven't been able to go to a camp on a division one campus this year, doesn't mean that they're just waiting until you can go to that camp to make an offer. No, absolutely not. So these, these coaches right now, I feel like right now the coaches um, are focused on their teams, especially the, the programs that are playing. Right. Um, so, you know, this, as soon as season came, you know, recruiting is always in the back of your mind, but it's not, the, the first thing that you're thinking about um, when you go to the office in the morning. So right now the coaches are more focused on um, their teams, the ones that are playing. Like I talked to the Hampton coaches, they're not having a season. Um, I think the Thune Cookman's not having a season right. again this year. Um, so they are still focused on recruiting, but they also don't know what kids are staying because their freshmen are going to be juniors next year, but still considered freshmen uh, eligibility wise. Right. And who are they keeping? Who are they not keeping? Um, so all of those things play into the recruiting of 22s and 23s. And they, if they're interested in you, they're reaching out. Um, bottom line, if, if they're interested in you, they're reaching out. Now, my big thing is consistency throughout the process. What I see is a lot of kids during the fall or summer seasons, you're emailing the coaches every week with your schedules, but you're not emailing the coaches outside of your season and staying consistent throughout the process. So like in the month of December, um, my kids had two or three touch points, um, everybody on my monthly lesson. So a lot of kids, you go to lessons for um, pitching, you go to lessons for hitting, you have a fielding coach, but what are you doing for the recruiting process? So I have a monthly lesson on softballrecruiting.com where I'm telling you every single month what you should be doing, where are the college coaches head that, um, where are we focusing our emails? What are we saying in our emails this month? And I give templates every single month. When should you be sending those emails? Because as you know, Sunday, Mondays are kind of um, right now, those days off for college coaches. So that's more so when they're going through their emails, so we want you to be at the top. So so you should be continually contacting these coaches. For 22s, they should be reaching out right now. If coaches, if D1 coaches are not reaching out to you right now, you have to be asking yourself why. Are they not reaching out to me because I'm not staying consistent and updating them? 
Um, they're not going to reach out after one email that you send them. Right. Um, you, you have to continue to show that you're interested because they want, when I, when I was at Delaware, I wanted kids that wanted me. I, I'd like those kids who continued to contact me throughout the process. Um, not, not over contacting because that definitely is a thing too, where they're emailing you every other day. Right. Um, but continuing that communication with the college coaches is huge. Um, but yeah, I don't want you to miss out on an opportunity to play at a D2. Um, if, you know, D ones aren't contacting you, I say they're, they're not interested or you're doing something wrong. Right. Like well, consult and, with an expert. And, and I think that's the, the point is because I think what's happening is a lot of people who maybe are not doing the work on recruiting. And so um, because they're not getting calls from these division one schools, they aren't connecting the dots. They're thinking, well, they're not doing it because of coronavirus when they're really not doing it because you haven't done the things you need to do as a player to Leading get their them. attention yeah. and to keep them interested. Um, all right, so you mentioned one thing that I want us to talk about a little bit is NCAA decision and uh, continuing uh, the trend of allowing players that are losing seasons or losing years of competition in the college ranks the opportunity to continue their career to basically add those years. And so um, you know, this year we'll, we'll have um, a bunch of quote-unquote super senior kids that you know, would have uh, been finished last year that now get to play again. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that that same rule applies all the way across the board. So last year's freshmen are still freshmen. And for some of them, this year's freshmen, who were last year's freshmen, will still, will be, still be freshmen, freshmen. next year. And, and how that's impacting uh, what college coaches are doing. And, and just kind of a thumbnail sketch. I know it's a very big question that probably has an hour worth of answer to it. But uh, how you think that's impacting the kids, uh, the high school age kids, the kids that are just entering the, the field uh, for being potential recruits, how are the extra years of eligibility impacting them? Yeah, so I've talked to a lot of coaches this week, um, and it's, they say it's, you know, a buyer's market. Um, they're, they don't have to give the scholarships that they had to give before because they don't have the money and they don't have the roster spots. Um, so I feel like what a lot, the information that high school ball student athletes and parents don't know is that there's a budget for the college coach. And when their roster sizes become huge, first of all, that's a lot more kids to manage. But every kid on there is 20 grand, 30 grand, depending on your budget in uniforms and spring break meals and travel and this. So every, so a roster spot is huge right now, especially for 22s. And I think that that trend is going to continue in 23 yeah. um, just to get a roster spot on a D1, D2 program. But with the kids staying um, on campus another year, so it's, it's like they almost like nothing happened last year. So right. the kids who are coming in, are now freshmen and the kids from last year are freshmen. And at Hampton, the kids coming in in 21 are going to be freshmen. So you're going to have three freshman classes, still freshmen. Right. Now it's up to the athletic director typically um, to tell the softball coach or all the coaches on campus, whether or not they have to keep those kids for those two extra years, or can they keep some and not others and having those diff difficult conversations with the kids on campus. Now, all of that's going to be dependent upon their performance. What are they studying and majoring in? Do they want to stay and get a master's degree? Because when you stay an extra year, now I can create a five-year plan. Those freshmen, if I was a freshman on campus last year, I'd be creating a five-year plan to get my master's degree. Right. Um, and they can you know, continue that planning. It's going to be harder for the juniors and seniors to kind of plan for that because they already have their plan um, set. But the softball-driven student-athletes who are there for softball and softball, pretty much 90% of it, um, probably will stay. Right. And so but again, it's... Yeah, the, I guess the challenge then is for our, the, the high school age kids that are trying to figure out how this impacts them. Schools are still recruiting these classes, but do you think that the numbers are down or the opportunities have been negatively impacted? Yes. So the, the student athletes I've worked with, I think scholarships are down. Um, they're afraid to give money. They're, they're a little bit of afraid to give money per se because they don't know what money they have to give. Right is what I've seen. Um, I feel like my pitch, my pitchers and like stud players are getting money. And then other kids who are, would typically get that 30, 40% are now walk-on kids. Right. Um, and a roster spot is huge right now. Yeah. Um, for, and they don't understand that it's, it's still costing the coach a ton of money on the back end to get a roster spot. Right. Well, I think one of the things that's so confusing with the way that this rule is being enacted is some schools are offering 
uh, the opportunity for those kids to return. Some schools are not. Um, some schools, as you said, are picking and choosing. Certain kids can and some kids can't. Um, some schools, you know, like the Ivy League, um, has you know kind of blanket policy said, sorry that you lost your year of eligibility, but you're here to be a student, not a softball player. So you're still a student. So you know, there there you go. But I think that uh, I mean, it's important now, and, and I think the point about getting on a team and having a spot on a roster is such an accomplishment now for kids coming out of high school because you know the competition for those Even spots is is amped up. Uh, I mean, a million percent from what it normally is, and it's already hard in a normal scenario. If we didn't have kids that were getting extra years of eligibility, just getting on a roster is a big accomplishment to begin with. And so I think that that's one of those things that we need to keep people, uh, uh, keep their perspective so that they're not not quite as uh, freaked out about it. So um, so the other part that goes along with that that um, um, I'm curious for your, your opinion on, um, you know, the rules were changed for the transfer portal a couple of years ago. Basically has allowed players the opportunity to change schools much more easily than in the past. And what I'm seeing for some schools is that recruiting now almost appears more to be who can we get to transfer that's already proven themselves to be an established and strong college player versus trying to find a high school kid that they're going to come in and have to develop. So what do you think the impact of the transfer portals had on on what you're doing with your kids? Yeah, so I I feel like it goes both ways. I've talked to coaches that you know, want to go to the transfer portal and find kids who have proven themselves um, or maybe get that SEC kid who this year is going to go sit the bench because um, a senior who was supposed to graduate is staying. Right. Um, so I, I have coaches that that look to that transfer portal a ton and I have other coaches who shy away from it. Um, there's some Northeast schools who have um, admissions requirements and enrollment requirements who they have to bring in six freshmen a year yeah. or five freshmen a year. So I feel like it just depends on the program and the coach. Um, And you can kind of probably look on their rosters and see who's getting transfers in and who's bringing in freshmen um, to to get a better picture of what their their coach's philosophy is or even their program athletic administration philosophy is. Um, But I've seen both sides of it. Um, But again, the the one coach who has to bring in five, six freshmen a year um, for enrollment at that D1 school he was saying that he kind of shies away from the transfer portal because if they're transferring, they're transferring for a reason. Right. Um, and, you know, he went to go get a kid off of the transfer portal who was getting 90% at her last school. He didn't have 90% to give her. You know, he had 20 or 30% to give her. And she was like, suck her nose about it and was like, I, I'm not transferring for that. Right. And, and, but what kids don't realize that are going on the transfer portal is they, they they're not worth kind of as much unless you're that high, high level kid. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, and again, uh, I, I think it's another one of those things that, you know, a lot of uh, decisions that I think get made at the NCAA level, um, especially this last couple of years, I think are all well-intended, you know, when they allowed the extra year of eligibility for kids because of Corona, for those kids that were negatively affected, you know, it was kind of a heartwarming thing to think, Oh, that's great. Those kids, you know, uh, get to keep playing if they want to. And I understand the idea of making transferring easier for players because, you know, the old system, you know, really made players jump through some hoops if they were unhappy someplace to go someplace else. Um, But I think both of those things, uh, depending upon the school and the situation, could really negatively affect an opportunity for a player coming out of the high school ranks that, you know, that, that should be a freshman someplace soon not necessarily getting the same opportunities that she might have, you know, two or three years ago. And so I just think it's an interesting thing to kind of pay attention to. So, so kind of coming back to a couple of things, key points I want us to, to hit on before we wrap up uh, for the parents and players that are uh, in the process of trying to get recruited right now. If you had to give a list of like the three or four most important tips, things that they absolutely should be doing, what would you say that uh, list would be? And it, and it can be 10 things if you think it's that many, but whatever you think, are the key most important things that players should be paying attention or should be doing right now if they're trying to get recruited? So before we go what they should be doing right now, if you, if I had a flat tire, I would go call an expert. If you're not an expert in it, go find somebody who is to help you through it. Um, There's, there's plenty of people out there who, you know, say they're experts, but if they're not helping kids get to where they want to go and not just feeding them to the people they know, um, go find an expert um, in that in that field. 
Um, but the, the most important things I think are getting that evaluation and targeting the right schools. If you're not targeting the right schools, you're not going to see success in the process. And I feel like, and constant communication. I feel like those are the two most important things. If you're targeting the right schools and you're constantly communicating with them, the coach is going to know you're interested. And as long as you can play there and you're a great person, um, I, you know, when you were out recruiting and I was out recruiting, I used to watch the bench. How did the girls on your team react to you hitting a home run? How did you react to the kids, you know, um, that are hitting home runs on your team? So that, that uh, chemistry, I feel like is missing a little bit with the travel ball world right now. Yeah. Um, but being a good person, the character piece was huge. Um, and the parents, uh, I feel like the parents ruin more opportunities for kids um, than kids ruin for themselves. I know with the message boards and COVID and everything, some of the parents went a little crazy um, online. And I know coaches were watching that and crossing kids off their list because those are going to be the parents in the stands. And those are going to be the parents who are trying to get you fired. Yeah. Um, so so they they stay away from that. So I think parents ruin more opportunities for kids than kids ruin for themselves. Um, so I think those are the three or four things that I would suggest to kids. Um, and then again, find an expert. If you If you don't know what you're doing or you have, you have questions, reach out to somebody who's been there, done that. Um, I know there's a lot of recruiting platforms out there um, and some are just selling to sell and they don't really help you. Um, if they're doing the process for you, stay away from it. Right. Well, let's talk about experts really quickly because that was one of my, my key points. I don't think I've ever seen anything in my life and I just turned 60, so I've been around for a while. I don't think I've ever seen any other endeavor, any other enterprise in my entire life that has more people who say they're expert in something that really are either misinformed or even flat out clueless as people who think they're recruiting experts. The number of things that I've heard that quote unquote, you know, the recruiting coordinator for a team or, uh, you know, so-and-so who, you know, these families are, are looking to as an expert have being so misinformed and, and really not expert. Just a quick thought on, on things that, you know, you mentioned if they're doing the work for you, they're probably not the good choice. Are there any other things that you would say, you know, if you're evaluating the person that you're asking for recruiting support or information from, green lights or red flags, if somebody's uh, saying that they can help you get recruited, what are some of those uh, green lights or red flags that, uh, that you would tell people to be aware of? Yeah, so if they're doing the process for you. Um, if they're promising you the world, but they've, and you know, promising you, you're going to go to Florida or South Carolina and they've never gotten anybody else done there and they don't know the coaches. Um, I like to sit back and during my games, um, with the bullets, I'm back behind talking to the college coaches and I let my assistants coach, um, because I'm, you know, grabbing as much information I can for my kids. Are they interested? What do they want to see more of? Um, or is the communication that my kid is giving that coach good information? Or are they looking for more? Are they looking for less? Um, and really deep diving in with the college coaches, every opportunity that I get, um, how often are these people talk, your expert that you're using, how often are they talking to these college coaches? And do college coaches like talking to that? Right. Um, I, <laughs> I know a lot of college coaches who hate talking to recruiting coordinators, travel ball coaches, um, because they just sell, sell, sell but they're not being completely honest about the kid. When you're not being honest about the kid, like, you know, Ohio State comes and they're looking for a 21 outfielder on my team. And I'm like, I don't have an outfielder who can play for you. And they're like, wow, thanks. Right. Like, <laughs> I, have a 20, I have a couple of 21 outfielders. I don't have an outfielder who can play for you. So somebody who's going to be honest with you and the college coaches um, to gain the respect and um, the trust from the college coaches as well. Right. Well, I think that's a key point because one of the things that to me is is a definite red flag is that quote unquote recruiting expert who is telling you that they can get your kid to a school a school that's really above their place in the in the softball food chain. You know that because they're such an expert or they're so well respected that even though you know, your daughter might be the uh, seventh best player on our team that I'm so good at this, I can convince uh, Florida or Arizona to recruit you, that I think that would be something that would scare the daylights out of me if I was a parent. Yeah, unless you play for a team full of SEC, like a right. pool of players like that. There's, yeah. there's like very few, 1%. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the deep end of the pool is doesn't have very many people swimming in it, that's for sure. You, you mentioned a, a little bit uh, about mistakes, but what are the biggest mistakes uh, you're trying to keep your clients, keep your families from making when they're contacting college coaches? 
send in good film. Um, I, I feel like knowing what good film is, and I had, I did a, a really big discussion with one of my clients this past week about what is good film. Um, you know, what, what should the film look like? And giving those, them those examples, this kid is probably a borderline D1, D2 kid. She's going to go where her film and the, she's going to pull the coaches to her game that the film kind of dictates. Um, so sending those coaches really good film um, to get them to come to games and, you know, get them interested. But again, if your skill level isn't where that school is looking, then the, your film is not going to show it. So again, what does your swing look like? Um, you know, what does your catch, catching stance look like and throwdowns and pop times? Um, kind of compare, again, from what you're targeting to what your skill level really is. Um, but send, I feel like film gets you on or off that list to come see, and it's right. huge. And teaching kids how to create their own film. Because I have a lot of clients. I post a lot of film online. I'm not doing it. <laughs> My right. kids are doing it. Yeah. Um, and the parents are not doing it. You, you made me think of something there because one of the things with Corona is all the uh, streaming of games. And one of the conversations I had with a player and her family not too long ago, they were trying to figure out you know, how to stay in front of a Division One coach. And they were kind of bragging on the fact that their team streams all their games. And I said, well, the streaming does have some value. It does serve a purpose. But realistically, it's not enough to really help that college coach make a decision. Uh, because if you're the center fielder and the the, the camera's on the backstop, uh, you might be this tiny little speck that's kind of like floating around out there in space that the you know the coaches can't really see much. One of the things that I explained to them is, is even though uh, nobody wants to appear to be that crazy softball parent that's videotaping everything, that there's nothing wrong with the idea of if if we're trying to get game footage to you know obviously have the stream go to that a coach can watch, but then also to keep moving around, keep positioning yourself so that if your daughter's hitting, you can get a really good, useful view of her hitting. So if that means you've got to move to one spot to, to film her hitting, that's great. And then if she goes out on defense and she goes to shortstop, that means you have to move to a different spot and take your phone or your camera and go and film them from another location just to get a better picture of her playing shortstop, then that's great. If you need to then walk out to the foul line to get up-close video of her playing in the outfield, that kind of stuff is going to have some benefit because it allows the the quality of the film to show what you're really capable of doing. So instead of you just being a blur on a stream, you actually are a human being in a, in a video that they can actually evaluate. Yeah. And pulling those clips, right. And making a 20, 30 second highlight film um, where it's chopped and it's quick, easy for the coaches to watch um, from that film that you're getting. We're blessed because I have a dad who loves to do film. And he has two cameras out in center field. One follows the ball. One stays on the, the pitcher batter. Um, so my kids are able to give, like, I want to say not ESPN, but that film from behind the pitcher where college coaches are looking. I, I'd say looking for that as well, not right. just from behind the backstop. They love that view, especially for evaluating a pitcher. Um, so that that's awesome. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I think that's one of those, again, you know, the, why is Corona so challenging? What's, you know, what is it about this year? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of things, but I think that uh, while the streaming, whether it's Facebook Live or Athletes Go Live or whatever somebody's using to stream their games um, is valuable, it's not as good a tool from a recruiting standpoint for the college coaches' perspective as people, I think, are jumping to that conclusion. They think if, you know, if the game's being streamed, that's just like that college coach is there, and it's certainly not. Because if that college coach is there to watch your daughter who's the shortstop, you know, their focus goes from specifically watching her play shortstop to specifically watching her hit to specifically watching her in the dugout. Uh, that college coach isn't really watching the whole game very much. They don't really care whether the team wins or loses. <laughs> They're just there to watch that player play. And so if we can send them some film that shows that player playing versus the whole team from a distance, I think there's a lot of value in that. I'm curious to see when everybody else, uh, when the college coaches are allowed back out to recruit, what are the parents going to do? Because I, right now I feel like the parents are kind of going crazy with like the film and all of that. And as you know, like, I don't know if I would want my parents acting that way when the, the college coaches can come out because right. then they just look like they're latching onto the kid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, so, yeah, so, so right now, mom and dad, it's okay to look a little bit crazy if you're trying to gather information for that uh, division one coach to, to really see your kid. But once the division coaches are there, 
You can go back to sitting in your chair and enjoying the game. You don't have to be chasing them around with a camera. Okay, so let's wrap up with a couple of things then. Uh, let's review the dates. So September 1st, uh, before a player's senior year, correct? Or before the player's junior year for Division so One. Go, going into junior year. Okay, so September 1st, heading into their junior year. So for a lot of kids, right at the start of their junior year for Division One. Uh, for Division Two, it's June 15th, heading into the junior year. Junior. Yep. And for Division Three, NAIA and JUCO, as any kid who's in high school can be contacted by those college coaches. Yeah. And, and those dates are important. It doesn't mean that players cannot or should, players definitely should already be emailing and sending information and that, that kind of stuff to those college coaches. Now, clear something up for me because I'm not exactly sure. If a player called a Division I coach before that date, what would the division coach be able to do? Can they have any kind of conversation or do they just have to excuse themselves? They have to excuse themselves. They cannot have a conversation. The only time you are allowed to talk to a coach before those dates is if you're at a camper clinic. On their campus. Um, yes. Okay. Well, one or uh, Yes. But I mean, if you're at a camper clinic and you have a question about um, hitting okay. or something and you're at a camp, then then you can kind of talk to them about those things. But I have a camper clinic process um, in my starter pack, onesoffallrecruiting.com, because I feel like a lot of kids, like they say, oh, I'm going to this camp. And they feel like the coaches aren't looking at them. Well, that's because you're not doing these couple of things to make sure that you're getting the most touch points as possible. Right. Um, so I feel like that's huge is having, you know, a plan going into it, not just showing up for a camp and saying the coaches are going to know. Right. And then the other thing that I uh, wanted to make sure that we we're helping families to understand is that college coaches don't miraculously find players very often. And so a college coach might be there watching your daughter's team play, but if your daughter has not specifically contacted that coach, created the relationship, and, and gotten the ball rolling, that coach might be following some other player very intently, but not even really paying much attention to your daughter. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that I, I still hear, and it, it, it surprises me, families still believe that the you know, the lightning in a bottle thing's going to happen very often. And it does happen every once in a while that, you know, a coach comes to watch your shortstop and at, in that same game, your center fielder hits three home runs and obviously you can't help but notice it. But that uh, kids need to be recruiting the coaches and sending that information and doing everything they can to get to convince that college coach that they need to come and see them play in person. Yeah. And I, when I was a college coach, I knew what games I was going to before the tournament. I didn't just show up at a tournament and be like, oh, I think I'm going to go to this game and watch this kid. Um, I knew which games I was going to, what times and what kids I was going to see. Um, so when we do the process and in my organization as a team, this is kind of how we got the ball rolling is everybody was doing the process. And the goal of my kids was to pull one or two coaches per game before COVID. Um, so the goal was to pull one or two coaches per game. So when you look behind our backstop, we would have 15 to 20 coaches every single game, whether we were on the main fields or not, um, which was absolutely phenomenal. So the power of your entire team doing the process together, now you don't feel so alone um, while doing it, but now you're pulling those 15, 20 coaches per game. And when you pull those coaches and you have a great game and you hit a couple home runs or have a ton of strikeouts, now instead of the one or two coaches who are, who are watching you specifically, now you have a bunch of coaches watching you and right. you kind of get on more coaches' radars um, and really get a bigger reach. Um, so the importance of not only you doing the process, but what what teammates can you rope into doing the process with you to help each other out? Yeah. No, and I, I think that this is all really valuable information because I think that, uh, um, as we said earlier, there's just so much misinformation and so much misunderstanding that it's kind of heartbreaking to me to see people like they're lost in the woods in the dark with no flashlight. They can't quite figure out where they're going and they keep bumping into things. And so I think what we've been able to help them with today will be very, very valuable. If they're interested in learning more, it's softballrecruiting.com. Anything else that you would like to share with them, ways, the, the best way for them to contact you, uh, what, what the time frame is, if there are certain uh, events that you're doing on a specific schedule or if it's all individualized, exactly how does all that work? Yeah. So if you're, you're trying to contact me and you go to softballrecruiting.com, um, you can just, you know, ask me a question on there or send me an email info at softballrecruiting.com. Um, I try and answer my emails every day, every other day. It kind of gets a little bit crazy. Right. Um, we also have social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. I believe it's at sballrecruiting.com, except for Instagram. It allowed me to do this at 
sball recruiting or at softball recruiting. So yeah, so feel free to contact me with questions. I love helping kids with the process and don't be afraid to to ask those questions. Um, because again, I feel like the, the issue with the recruiting process is everybody's an expert and you're like, oh, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to help me. And then I get a ton of phone calls September 2nd of junior year from those kids and families because they're like, why haven't I gotten anything? And by then it's a little bit too late. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about that really quickly. So, you know, too late, I think, is a relative term. Um, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes what happens is people get hopeless too quickly. You might be late um, to the dance, but it doesn't mean the dance card is full. It just might mean that you have to reevaluate a little bit who you're going to get to dance with. And I think that's an important thing. Uh, the moral to the story is right now, this this past year and this next year, I think, are going to still be very much up in the air with exactly how all these different things are going to impact and how these different uh, pieces are going to fit together, which I think makes uh, your services that much more beneficial and that much more useful uh, to families that are out there. You know, this is not the same old recruiting world that it was a few years ago. And even if the person that's trying to help you is somewhat expert um, and is giving you pretty good advice, there's a lot of stuff going on now in the world of Corona and transfer portal and extra years of eligibility and stuff like that, that dealing with somebody like Rachel, who's in the trenches dealing with it now, that has the expertise and the knowledge, I think would have unlimited value to our families as, as they're trying to make sense out of this, because this is a very fluid situation. We're all going through stuff from a recruiting standpoint that you know we've never seen before. Hopefully at some point in time, we can get back to life as we knew it and, and things can, can get a little bit uh, simpler. But I would strongly recommend for all our listeners uh, that are venturing into the recruiting process, reach out to Rachel. Um, I think you can tell from the conversation we've had that uh, uh, you're going to get somebody who has your best interest at heart and somebody who's really knowledgeable and going to be helpful to you. So Rachel, anything else you want to add before we wrap it up today? No, just good luck to everybody and find your dream school. Don't let somebody else tell you what your dream is. Find your dream school. That, that, that's an amazing way to wrap things up. So for our listeners, that was Rachel Coleman, again, softballrecruiting.com. Make sure you reach out to her. Um, she gets the fast pitch prep and the everything fast pitch stamp of approval because we've known each other for a long time. And and to me, it's important that people know that when we have faith in somebody that they're going to do a good job, that we, we make sure that they all understand that. So Rachel, good luck with uh, your team this spring and summer. Hopefully everybody gets to play some softball. And uh, with a little bit of luck, maybe we'll see you at the ballpark. Sounds good. All right, Don. So that's going to take us into our cleanup topic. Uh, this has been a really crappy couple of months for those of us that are baseball fans. Um, there have been so many legends of the game that have passed away, and maybe uh, one of the greatest legends of all time and somebody who's very important to us here in the Atlanta area. I got the double dip of Hank Aaron because he played in Milwaukee with the Brewers at the end of his career when I still lived in Milwaukee right. and now living in Atlanta. Um, where you know he's a, a godlike figure um, you know, because of all that he's done and all that he's accomplished. Um, but we've had a lot of uh, those legends of the baseball world pass away, and, and Hank Aaron passed away recently. And uh, one of the things that I came across in, in looking at some of the different testimonials and things about his career and his life is that he was always talking about having a keep-swinging attitude. And I thought that was important for us to talk about because I think that the message in that is valuable for all our softball people. Well, I've, I've, and as you say that, Tori, I've uh, thought back, and uh, people would often say, if you're in a slump, you got to hit your way out of it, right? right? And I think that's kind of the point, is that uh, the only way to polish it and get it where you want it is to continue that activity and keep working at it. Right. Well, and I think when you look at uh, Hank Aaron's life, obviously that attitude applies to him becoming an amazing hitter, but I think all the different obstacles and things that he had to overcome, you know, coming up in the in the Negro Leagues and then having to establish himself as a major league player at a time when it was very difficult for him to do so. You know, I can remember when he was on the verge of breaking Babe Ruth's record, you know, that he was the target of all kinds of really terrible stuff and had to endure all that, but his attitude about what so, to become a great hitter applied to all those things. He just kept to keep on going and just yeah. kept on swinging. And if you keep swinging, something good can happen. And I think that, uh, um, that that was a really meaningful message. And, and you said it, you know, very, very eloquently when we're talking about a kid's struggling, if slumping, or if they're really having a difficult time in the game, they always face that dilemma of well, what do I do? How do I solve this? How do I get out of this? When I want to quit. Yeah. And, and yeah. sometimes the idea of, this isn't any fun. I just don't want to do this. I'm not I, I'm looking for a shortcut or a, or a 
easy way easy. out of that. Yeah. I think Hank kind of says pretty well with, you know, if you just keep swinging and keep working and keep hacking, that eventually you're going to find your way through it. You're going to get through it and uh, all that stuff. And so he talks about remaining positive. You know, we talk about that all the time. You know, Paige's uh, weekly guest about uh, in- increasing confidence and helping players be positive. You know, he was always talking about continuing to push and working hard and obviously was one of those guys. And so um, I just thought it was an interesting concept to kind of remember Hank Aaron and talk about that idea of if we're struggling with this game or we're struggling with something in life, just keep hacking. Yeah. All right. So, Don, that's going to take us to our coaching tip of the week. Our coaching tip of the week is basically geared towards our attitude as coaches. And one of the things that I wanted us to talk about is if you have players that are working hard for you, coming to practice every day, showing up and, and giving it their best effort, what are you doing and are you doing enough as a coach to repay that, to, you know, to reward their effort? And I thought there was a couple of things that we should talk about. So if your players are working hard for you, are you really working hard for them? And I think there's a lot of different layers to that. So number one is, are we learning more? Staying, staying active in uh, trying to figure out how to create better practices, right. concept from arm care to conditioning, so forth, right? Yeah, current, current trends, different mm-hmm. ideas. And one of the things that I think uh, coaching is really, unfortunately, kind of known for is that there's a lot of us, especially older coaches like you and I, that have been doing something for so long that we kind of get set in our ways. We kind of think that there's my way or the wrong way. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it's not necessarily just older coaches. I think all coaches can kind of fall into that trap. You know, if you, especially if you've had success with something, you kind of get caught up in the idea that, uh, um, that that's the right way to do things. And I think that uh, the valuable question is not necessarily is it just working, but could it work better? You know, sure. Is there a better way to do things? Tori, I think that's a great point because I can remember being a young coach and we got into coaching when we were quite young. And uh, a lot of times when I would listen to some of the older people I would consider older coaches, uh, I would be shaking my head. I would keep my mouth shut. Right. But I'd be shaking my head going, no, 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 no. You you were respectful. (laughs) Right. But you were doubtful about what they were saying. But that wasn't how we were going to do it. Right. And so, and I think, unfortunately, now we just got to double check and make sure, okay, have we, have we become that person? I do. Yeah. My good friend, Chris Fritz, always had this uh, kind of joke kind of saying about if you're, <laughs> if you're in a room and you can't figure out who the jerk is, it might be you, <laughs> right? And you know, so, so, so I if, might be the old guy here. Yeah. Soon. So if, uh, if you're in a room of coaches and you can't figure out, you know, who's the old coach that people are kind of scoffing at, it might be you. <laughs> or if you're the stubborn coach, you know, cause it could be somebody that's 22 years old could still be that same stubborn old minded coach. And so if you're the person that uh, is really set in their ways, I mean, we want to make sure that we're challenging that. But even if you're open-minded, you know, making sure that you are always looking for different avenues. One of the things that uh, I think happens in fast pitches, we get so caught up in the game of fast pitch that we stop looking around at other things. And you know, I think that uh, obviously baseball is an area that we could learn a lot more from, but I think that there's a lot of attitude about, well, you know, baseball's one game and you know softball's different you know, we don't have to do things the baseball way we're softball players kind of thing but i think that there's things in the baseball realm that that we can always be looking at is ways to learn some new things some ways crossover. to yeah. to to carry over other sports or even even other realms you know uh, when we do our coaches clinic our zoom coaches clinic one of the things we're talking about is learning styles and how different people learn differently and how different athletes can be reached by using different techniques and that's coming from a business coaching perspective. You know, how do you sell something to somebody that you're, you know that they're not sure they need? Right. Well, you know, how do you convince that player to work on something that they're not necessarily sure they need to work on? And this is why you need it. Right. Yeah. So whether it's uh, you know reading a a book about business sales or mental game or team building strategies or whatever styles it is, of, teaching styles, yeah. you know, psych, you know, basic psychology. There's just so many things that I think really good coaches are paying attention to. And, uh, and all of it requires us to invest a little bit of time. Um, you know, but I think that that time is, is rewarded. So, and that's tough too, Tori, because just managing a team to begin with is really taxing and consuming. And, you know, we talked about this, I think, last week or in a previous podcast about uh, delegating some of those other responsibilities so that possibly you can take the time to learn and do the things you're talking about today. Right. Well, one of the things that I think is just depends on the different coaches' attitudes, different perspectives. I've always enjoyed reading, and I've always enjoyed reading stuff that's relative to coaching. 
you know, but some of the stuff that I've learned is not from, you know, picking up a book that's written by a baseball expert or a hitting expert as much as it, you know, something, you know, about psychology or about, uh, you know, business or about other things, you know, uh, uh, there's, you know, a whole lot, you know, unbelievable number of self-help style books about seven habits of highly successful people and all those different kinds of things. Um, you know, John Gordon and, and some of his books and a lot of information I think is available in those. And it's kind of a crossover. It, it certainly can make you be, be a better softball coach, but a lot of it, you know, applies to real life, applies to your life, sure. your family, your, your situation. And so I think sometimes from a coach's perspective, we get caught up in thinking, well, we're just so busy. We're just so busy that uh, we kind of gloss over the fact that we don't have time to do some of these things. But I think it's one of those, uh, you know, sometimes you got to spend money to make money. Sure. I think sometimes you got to invest a little bit of time to end up maybe having a better time in the long run or having more time later on. If you become a really successful motivator, if you become really good at you know, communicating with your players, you probably spend a whole lot less time being aggravated later on. Harping on and, things. And, 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 yep, and heartbroken yep. because things aren't going well with your team. So maybe we have to just see it as an investment instead of a distraction. So, But we want to make sure that our coaches are learning more. Second thing I thought about is we want to make sure that if our players are working hard for them, when there's opportunities to see them get recognized, we need to work hard for them in those arenas too. And you know we've talked about these different lists and things like that, sure. different rankings, um, all conference teams for the high schools and colleges, you know, all American teams for the high school and colleges, um, you know, these different uh, programs where players are selected and recognized for their ability. Maybe sometimes it's they qualify for the national team or, uh, you know, some of these different uh, traveling trips and stuff. But there's different ways that players can be recognized. And I think for us as coaches, you know, we want to be looking for ways to make sure that the players who are working hard for us are getting that recognition when we can. No, I think that's nice, and uh, you know that's kind of one of those side things uh, from winning or being successful is when you are recognized, and both by your your immediate group or your team and people around you, and also, you know, maybe even as uh, the player of the week here on the podcast right. and and fun things like that, or at your schools, yeah, if you're recognized right. as an accelerated athlete, yeah, right. Well, and the player of the week is a good one. You know, periodically we run out of nominations, yeah, and I know that there's you know. Thousands of people that are listening to this podcast that all know softball players that deserve recognition. We can recognize them, yeah. And thousands of coaches listen to this that have players that need to be recognized. And so if you've got a player who's working hard for you, fastpitchprep at gmail.com, everything fastpitch at gmail.com. It's going to take you you four or five minutes to type up a little uh, introduction, and chances are pretty good that that player is going to be recognized as the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. But it's that kind of thing that I think coaches sometimes Either they try to have a philosophical problem with it, like, well, I don't want to recognize individual players, but the reality of it is you can recognize individual accomplishments without negatively impacting your team if you're doing it from a and positive place. I was going to say, and having been in this so long, I mean, even if we haven't met some of these athletes, we know what it takes to do what they're doing and to, to take the extra time to be special. Right. So, yeah. And so coaches don't, uh, don't get caught up in the, you know, it's a team game. It's a team sport. I don't want to recognize individuals, recognize that those individuals that are doing things that uh, deserve recognition, deserve it. Yeah. And let's just go ahead and recognize them, make sure that they're getting those awards. And if somebody's got a problem with it, the problem isn't that player A got an award. The player B, who's mad about it, is the problem, right. and that's a different challenge. So if we're they learning, step it up. Yeah, for or if we're learning more about team psychology and team building uh, in our learn more part of this discussion, then we'll know how to handle that too. So, and then the last thing that I thought is really important is that we should share credit when the team is successful. One of the things that uh, um, I've noticed with a lot of really successful coaches across all different kinds of sports is that when the team does well. They share the recognition. They talk about right. the players. They they pat the players on the back. And conversely, a lot of times when things aren't going well, they are willing to shoulder the blame. That is the tough part. And uh, yeah, if we if we if we win, it's because we've got good players. And if we lose, it's because I'm a bad coach. Right. Right. Um, and and you know sometimes it becomes almost cliche. You know because you know like every Monday when you watch uh, you know the ESPN uh, highlights after the. NFL games, there's a head coach on there. Well, I got to coach them up better. I got to do this better. And I, I appreciate the fact that they do that. And I think that the flip side of that is 
you know, making sure that you're recognizing individual players. And obviously, most of us aren't going to be on ESPN talking about our players on national TV, but you can do it in your team huddles. You can do it, uh, you know, with your social media stuff with the team. Um, you know, sometimes I think we need to make a special point of recognizing those kids that are working really hard. You know, maybe somebody who's just figured out a new skill. If you're coaching a really young team, you know, the first time a player gets a bunt down in practice, um, something like that might be worthy of really making a big deal of and letting them know that you recognize the fact that they're working hard. They're working hard for you. They're working hard for the team. You're going to recognize that effort. And as we're talking about it, Tori, I'm going to throw this out there too. Uh, something I appreciate and I do notice um, when it happens is if we've got an athlete that has just become an MVP of a tournament or of a season or anything like that, when they turn around and are given an opportunity to talk about it, that they uh, are very thankful to be around other good athletes. Yeah. I've got fantastic teammates. My coaches really did a lot for me this year. My mom and dad, you know, I want to make sure that uh, that they know how much I appreciate them putting me in a position to receive an award like this. And, yeah. you know, when they talk that way, I even respect and admire them a lot more. Right. When I think yeah. what happens quite often is that the, those players that are responding that way positively and, and, and saying those things have had that modeled for them. Sure. So they've seen it from their coaches, they see it from their parents, they see it from other people. And uh, so I think it's important. And so for us as coaches, if your players are working hard for you, make sure you're working hard for them. Learn more, recognize them, and share credit with them. And if you have to, if you're in a really public setting, if you got to take a little bit of the blame to deflect it from them, right? I think that's part of what you should be doing too. Because in the long haul, that's something that really shows those players that you're in it with them. Um, you're, you know, you're you got their back. You're yeah. covering them. Yep. Yeah. You, yeah. Got their back. I think that's a great way to say it. So, Don, anything else for number 149? No. Again, just always excited, Tori, for another good week. And we'll look forward to uh, coming together again next week. Very good. So, make sure you check out our sponsors, Clean It Up FP, Next Air, and Elite Sporting Goods. Please check out our patreon.com slash everything fast pitch page. And we would love for you to become a patron. Go to fastpitchprep.com. You can order your square cuts training discs there. It's a very easy process. You click on the link on the, on the uh, main page, and it's going to take you all the way through the steps, and they'll get in the mail to you ASAP. And there's tons of other good stuff on the website, fastpitchprep.com, about 600 blogs worth of knowledge. The YouTube channel, and the YouTube channel, of course, has got uh, new drills for the uh, square cuts training discs and a couple of hundred drills, just general drills that you can use also. So tons of information at fastpitchprep.com. So for Coach Don McKinley, this is Coach Tory and our producer Stan Lewis in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio saying thanks for listening to episode number 149, and we'll talk to you again next week. 